0: In this episode, I speak with transformational mindset and success coach and author, Lise Wilcox. Key points addressed were Lise's podcast titled, To Call Myself Beloved, and how it explores and speaks to some of Lise's core tenets as she has based her coaching, advising, and speakership career roles out of. We also explored her book, which was launched hours ago, titled, To Call Myself Beloved, A Story of Hope healing and coming home, and how it not only unpacks what Lisa's term, terms as difficult conversations, but also provides action items and real life utility for solving unhealthy and unhappy aspects of one's life. Stay tuned for my fascinating talk with Lisa Wilcox. My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi everyone and welcome back. I am your host, Patricia, and today I am elated to be sitting down with Lise Wilcox. Lise is a transformational mindset and success coach and a recent author. You can find out more about all of her services as well as her book on her website, lisewilcox.com. That is L-E-I-S-S-E-W-I-L-C-O-X.com. Welcome, Lise. What a
1: pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Absolutely, I'm so excited to climb through. I'm elated for everyone listening. Lisa's book just dropped today, um, and I can I'm just cannot get enough of it. I can't tell you how excited I am to be this kind of baptismal moment of one of her first few podcasts to kind of climb through all of it. And I will do just that with you. Before I get to um, asking her questions, I will tell everyone who might be new to the podcast. I will read a quick bio on Lisa, but before I do that, let me give you a quick roadmap for today's podcast, inquiry in line of the trajectory in which that will follow. We'll first look at unpacking Lisa's story. So I'll ask her about her academic, professional, and personal history. Um, It pertains particularly close to her career at this point. And then we'll look at unpacking um, Lisa's career right now. We'll look at her coaching. Um, I wanna get into her podcast. And then also, of course, her most recent book, titled To Call Myself Beloved, A Story of Hope, Healing, and Coming Home. Um, Her podcast, also under the same vein, is labeled, titled To Call Myself Beloved. And um, we will kind of climb into, we'll first get into all the logistics of those endeavors. So the who, what, when, where, why. And then we'll climb into um, some of the more specifics about the ethos and the philosophy. So we'll cover both um, aspects of that spectrum. And then we'll turn to, as all of the podcasts in this particular series we will turn to unpacking goals that Lise has for the next um, one to three years for herself, and we'll wrap everything up with advice that she has for those of you who are looking to uh, kind of garner some of her wisdom and perhaps emulate some of her career success. So before I question her, I start peppering her with questions, rather, a quick bio as promised on Lise. Lise Wilcox is a transformational mindset and success coach who helps high potential women courageously become the vision of themselves they can't stop dreaming about. A passionate speaker, dynamic thought leader, author, NLP practitioner, top podcast host, cancer survivor, mom of three, and taco enthusiast. Her entire experience has been about coming home to her truest self and to call herself beloved, knowing intimately that changing the world starts by making the changes we want to see within ourselves first. An expert featured on Simple Habit and an entrepreneurial advisor with Startup Canada, Lisa's intentions, intention is to guide people to come home to themselves, giving them permission to live authentically. Lisa's first book, To Call Myself Beloved, is available now and you can watch her on season two of Amazon Prime's The Social Movement. So Lisa, I can't wait to unpack everything. As I said, I am um, I become positively giddy with new authors, um, particularly like I don't think I've ever had a guest on launch that day. And I'm into your book. But before we get to all of that, I was hoping you can draw us a narrative, um, however you see fit, of your personal background, you know, briefly how your childhood spilled into adulthood, leading to you to the endeavors that we will speak about today.
1: Absolutely. That was an amazing intro, and I got to tell you, I was sweating a little bit because I was like, whoa, we are going to get very real here. And also, how much time do we have? This is like a major, this is a major suitcase or series of suitcases that we're going to unpack. You know, my story that has informed, that has informed my present absolutely without dictating my future is I had, I had a really difficult childhood, as so many of us do. My mom left very, very early on. And for a while, it was just my dad and I, which was amazing. And a few years later, he reconnected with somebody, like a high school sweetheart, and they kind of partnered up together. And it felt like my dad died. And it was like Cinderella story, kind of living out in my real life with this new stepmother there who openly did not want me in her life. They had two more kids together. I was such an inconvenience to her life and her lifestyle. Um, that I really felt like I had to minimize my entire existence. And that might not sound like a big deal. Like I wasn't physically abused. And so it's like, okay, right. I also wasn't loved. And she shut everybody out of our lives who did love me. So she created this weird dynamic, which is classic in narcissistic abuse, that she isolated me. So I had nobody else to turn to for any help. And she, the way that the environment she created, I suppose, was one that made me question my own sanity. And so it was just this really, really uncomfortable place where I learned that I wasn't a person of value. And if I wanted to get the love I so desperately needed, like we all so desperately need, especially as kids, I was going to have to radically change my personality. And so I learned how to put on all these masks and learn how to please other people. And as I say, like minimize my own existence and stop listening to my own intuition and only listen to what I thought other people would expect from me. Well, guess what? That's not a great way to live your life. You know, it was survival mode for sure. And what that survival mode taught me as I grew up was that that's how we find love. You know, we develop these patterns of attachment that when I would meet somebody who was like, okay here's a person for whom i have to fight for their love i have to prove myself i have to be who i'm not oh this is familiar this is what a healthy relationship dynamic looks like so you know fast forward a few years i got into a marriage and that just absolutely was so included by his family and i absolutely felt like i was home for the first time but the marriage itself even through beautiful vacations and three wonderful children together and this like picture-perfect dream life we had created, it was so lonely. It was so lonely inside. And one day I had this genuine wake-up moment of, you know, we're in our seven-bedroom house, we're in this beautiful, tiny little town, we've got all this property, wonderful family around us. And I remember lying on the floor with my little girls, looking at, you know, my good-looking husband in the kitchen and making coffee at our, like, Carrara Marble Bar. And I had this sinking feeling of like, if this isn't enough for me, what the hell is wrong with me? Mm. And I had this moment of, you know, intuition, higher self, God, universe, whatever you want to say. I heard this little voice and that little guiding voice was saying, uh, none of this is enough for you because you are not enough for you. And in that moment, it really did feel like I woke up. And I knew at that point that I had some painful decisions to make and some painful conversations to have. And ultimately, I ended the marriage, or I called time of death on the marriage. So It was kind of already dead and started life 2.0 in a, in a brand new direction.
0: That's amazing. I mean, I can't recall you know i've heard a lot of particularly for this series over the past three years i've spoken to a lot of women and women identified individuals nonbinary uh, non-binary individuals included in that and mm-hmm. i none of them have come to their point and perhaps it's um just not spoken about as much because it feels almost privileged but this idea that you know you come mm-hmm. to this ultimate success you know you had the money the family the mm-hmm. the mate all of it and to realize at that point to be brave enough to call, to just say, it's not, it's not working on me, is kind of amazing. I'm wondering first steps when you headed down, because your book is about, you know, the, the lessons from this journey, right? The, as you you said yourself, the difficult conversations. And this began it. It sounds like this is the one of the first mm-hmm. difficult conversations you posture to yourself in order to come to all of these realizations. And I'm wondering, did you first have a mentor? Where was the first place you looked to guide yourself? Because your book is about guidance and helping other people have these conversations. Who guided you? Um, Google,
1: <laughs> which is why I wrote the book. <laughs> you know, in fairness, I had a, a like a new friendship at the time with a woman who is very spiritual and kind of one of those otherworldly people. I mean, you live in California, maybe you just grew up with these people. I didn't grow up with these people and I, they're in my life now, like I totally get it now. But at the time, she was the first person who really started talking to me about there being another way or about you know increasing my faith in the process and trusting what was unfolding. And she was like the first person to ever use those words with me. And I remember I, I had a lot of conversations with her, um, which helped me feel like I wasn't crazy. I have an incredible aunt, I have an incredible extended family, but I have one aunt who is such a rock. And when I got through all the Google searches, like what will happen if I stay? What will happen if I go? How do I know it's time for divorce? Like what is marriage supposed to feel like? And other assorted Google phrases, you know, I phoned my aunt and I was like, I think I know what I have to do. And I need to know if you will support me in this. And I don't know why, I chose to have that conversation with her. I don't know why that was important for me to do, but, oh man, am I ever glad that I did because it, it kind of, it kind of forged a contract to be honest. It kind of forged this emotional contract that I knew I had her support as my person to go and talk to. What's interesting is that, you know, you, you mentioned that this is the pain that we don't talk about because it sounds privileged and absolutely like you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs when you have your physiological needs met, and you have your physical needs met, and your needs for safety and security, you have all those needs met, you're still having a human experience. And this is what's so fascinating to me is that pain is relative. So absolutely, you can call it privilege, because there is a lot of privilege in there. But we're still having a human experience. And that human experience is rooted in our emotional health and in our feelings. And I work with so many women who are like, overachievers, right? We're all high achievers. And we've learned through our lives that you do achieve, do achieve, do achieve. And if you want to achieve more then you do more and suddenly so many women get to this point where they're like, "Uh Oh, I did everything right. I climbed all the right ladders and made all the right moves and made all the right connections. I have this list in front of me of all the things I was supposed to do and I checked off. So how can I feel like shit? And then that's wrapped in shame because you're like, well, I obviously can't talk about this because who am I to complain? Like, look at my life. And what we're not looking at is like, sure, look at the outside of my life. Look at the outside of my world. But what does my inner world look like? And for me, it was like overriding that shame or feeling the shame and healing through it to allow myself the permission to be like, listen, you do have a loving and supportive um, in-law family. You do have, you know, what at that time felt like a really huge group of friends and support and you're not happy and you've been to therapy and you've read the books and not the podcast at the time but you know you've you've taken all the steps to heal this and you know I remember having a notebook full of things that we had tried to like quote unquote make marriage work and I remember getting to the final page in the notebook and being like oh shit I know what has to happen and what has to happen is that either he has to radically change his personality or I have to radically change mine and like I had this visceral reaction as somebody who had had to change her entire personality for the first 30 years of her life. I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. I think I'm going to have this really, really painful conversation and make a decision that is for the first time in my life rooted in what honors my needs. And I'm going to act in a way that is actually advocating for who I am, and what I need. And that was the beginning of this, like, I get Shikha's still talking about it, but it was the beginning of this like wild trajectory of tapping into more of that. Cause no matter how difficult that was, once you've rung the bell, you can't unhear it. Right. And as a result, my piece is the most valuable thing I own and I paid dearly for it. And I still wouldn't change that for the world.
0: No, it's life-shattering, and I think anyone who hasn't felt it are the only population that wouldn't get that. Anybody who's gone through a life, regardless of, you know, um, judgment from the outside, which I like to abstain from altogether, but um, to to come in adulthood to a sense Mm -hmm. of self-knowing and peace and compassion wrapped within that for the self. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times in this world, particularly COVID uh, pandemic talk, people get into compassion, which I love. I want to help spread the word, but it, it begins with compassion for the self, mm. you know, and a self-awareness that, um, like you said, you know, once you've tapped into it, uh, it leads on to more of that. And that actually feeds your society more than anything I think ever would. But it's so, it's so powerful to hear you talk about that. I do want to start climbing through. So I first want to look at the podcast because the book launched just today. And I want to kind of unpack the book after we've talked a little bit about the podcast. And I want to start off with, um, some of the nuts and bolts of it. So um, when was it launched? I, I have down, I saw the last the first episode is last August. I'm not sure if that's accurate. So if it was launched a year ago, um, what the impetus was for it? Did you take any funding or capital? How did you get going with it? Did you have a guest host? Did you have an idea as to how many you were going to release? How did you know about any or and or all of it? Or did it just all come to fruition naturally? You are not gonna like the answer I'm gonna give you
1: because I Googled it. <laughs> Once again, I Googled it. No, very honestly, I remember, August sounds about right, but I can't quite remember. I, there's somebody who's you know used to be actively in my life, is now kind of on the periphery of my, of my life, but I have a lot of respect for her. And there have been so many moments in my life where she's such a boss and she's just kind of popped in and be like, oh, you should start a blog. And I'm like, okay, so I write a blog. And then she'll be like, you know, people aren't reading long form content anymore. You should probably start an Instagram account. So I like turn Instagram into a microblog. And she popped up one day. She was like, you need a podcast. Like you, you need a podcast period. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to have a podcast. What would that be like? And fast forward a little bit, which we can unpack this too. Cause it's the third major cataclysmic event of my life, which is also the third in the book. Um, I got a breast cancer diagnosis at age 36 and um, like a week before my 37th birthday or something like that. And uh, it was during chemotherapy that I, A, decided, well, I have some time on my hands now. I guess I can write a book proposal because I've been wondering how the hell I'm going to fit that into my schedule. And I also used that, that time, that four months of uh, chemo to research. I I literally did Google how to start a podcast and I just like went through a checklist and I followed that. I ordered a, a podcast kit from Amazon. People are always shocked to hear this, but I ordered a podcast kit. You know, I ended up meeting somebody locally who's a musician, really talented. And I was like, Oh, you literally sound like John Mayer. When you play guitar, would you, would you write a theme song for me? And he wrote a theme song for me and he does all my audio. And, um, I chose to do a solo show. Because effectively, what we're talking about, like I have a, a, in a former life, I have a background in Montessori education. I am naturally an educator. So for me, you can see that went from the classroom to a parenting column to a blog to Instagram to a podcast to a book. And the podcast effectively is my blog. So I don't have a co host, it's just me, it's a solo show. Um, I've had one guest on to one episode when I did like a live coaching session, but otherwise it's me because I feel like I have a pretty unique uh, standpoint on emotional health and how to genuinely feel your feelings and how feeling your feelings at their core is what changes the manifestations of all the shit you don't want in your life. You know, we experience something and we're like, Oh, can you believe this happened? And I was like, yes, let's trace that back to what is actually happening internally, heal that, and then kablamo, that stuff naturally starts to disappear. basically i'm
0: so arrogant that i'm like what
1: i have to say is so interesting i'm just going to deliver this content in podcast
0: episode hard fought for i don't think it's arrogance when you've gone through the kind of battles that you fought for those are badges you know and to think that other people wouldn't glean um, information from them i think is largely what's wrong with women across the world and there's nothing wrong with women across the world let me clarify and quantify that. <laughs> i've been put on my tombstone what i mean is there are a lot of unification factors that I find with oppressed populations. And when I look at women, I've been studying women, female identified non-binary individuals for the better part of 20 years and um, throughout feminist lenses and all different kinds. And the truth is, is that one of the narratives and the threads that is in common with all of us is that even those of us that become successful ought not speak about those stories. They're not important enough and they're not applicable enough. And so I think to fly in the face of that is so very, very important. But there's still even a small dialogue with you, you know, as a joke saying, you know, and, and I'm arrogant enough, like, no, it should be. And, and women need, we need to hear each other's stories. You know, the whole point of this particular podcast for any of you that haven't listened is everyone who says there's two people in this world, ones that say, oh my God, that's so fantastic. I can't believe you're doing that. And then the others say, what is it for? What, yeah. what are you doing? And it's just the difference of people that understand women, women identified, but non-binary individuals. We need to hear each other's stories. It's been completely isolated and cut out of rhetoric from marketing to cinema for so long. We don't understand how deprived our own personal narrative is, not gleaning the stories of any other people like us. And so I love that you've done that. And I I mean it sounds so stressful for me. And I love the idea that you've described it as arrogant because the concept of taking your own podcast, which is, I love your narrative because it is this um, most recent one for anyone who hasn't listened, jump on really quickly because she narrates one of the chapters in her books that we'll talk about. But um, it's, you have the, these moments, you have to really design and then get into these specific, you've got lessons that you're delivering, you know, and you're coming out with these and they're all between, 20 and 40 minutes and that's a lot of work it's a lot of dialogue it's a lot of choreography especially when you need it to be fluid and so I have to commend you on that level and to that end I want to talk about um you you release give or take it looks like once every two weeks and I wanted to talk to you about what made you decide that and I have to say before we get into that as a side note as a total nerd who loves the Montessori program yeah. you googling things is so Montessori. the self cell- that is Montessori for any of you out there, I have four children who all went through Montessori school. And they all, like, it's a very self-led education model. So the fact that everything in, your, everything in your life has been this self-led model, it does not strike me as odd at all that you're a Montessori. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanna climb into what, who, how did you decide for your own, was it a conversation with your personal schedule, like once every two weeks you release? And how do you develop the choreography of what you're going to talk about? How do you curate that?
1: So I am currently a solopreneur, right? Like I'm the queen. I run the show. I have three little girls for the last entirety of their lives, except the last five months. I have had them in my custody 80% of the time. Okay. With like minimal financial support. So the stuff that I have done in four and a half years with (laughs) three kids in tow, frankly, I am clapping for myself because it really is remarkable. And the podcast from a brand, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you wear so many different caps, right? Like you wear the genius cap of where you really shine. Then you put it, got to put on like the CFO cap, which is not as much of a strength, uh, area strength for me then. And then you've got the strategy hat. And so strategically, I'm also very Dutch and I'm very much a Taurus. So when I put on that strategy cap, it is like rooted in the earth. And that root tells me what is the intention behind what you're doing? What will this lead you to or what will it return? I'm really very spiritual. So what it leads me to, there are so many options in front of me. Most of those options are like, who knows, but I trust my gut to go there. For the podcast, I only do it once every two weeks because it is very difficult to turn a profit and to convert with a podcast, I think. And so I have to balance out and I've looked at sponsorships. I'm like, I don't want to do sponsorships online. And that frankly seems like it's going to add an additional layer of effort on my behalf. And so I just look at what is the content? What, what is the intention? Why am I creating this? Who am I serving? What am I doing? And how does it align with my values? That's my filter that I use on like literally every decision in my life, especially in my business. And so for the podcast, I believe it's very important to have the podcast as, one of the moving pieces of my business, but there's only so much energy I can give it. Um, if somebody else was footing the bill or if they was really converting a lot of clients back to private clients, it would absolutely be at least once a week, if not more. But right now it's like, I really wanna have it, but I'm also keeping my eye on it to make sure what I'm doing is actually worth my time.
0: Yeah. And those are really good points. I have to say, I get asked to speak a lot about developing podcasts because I've done so many um, <laughs> that I know four years ago that I was a little podcast maven. But um, And what I quickly, you know, uh, surmised and, and kind of speak to and advised you on is everything that you've spoken of. I think that the most important thing is consistency, tone and rhetoric and um, authenticity, as well as like, really having a point and yours are so polished like you know you kind of just quickly prattled off but you have this original sound music you know to your podcast and the and the sound quality of them like everything sounds so amazing and i think that people need to realize that it's still the Wild West. So I I realize that I'm speaking to rules I've made up for my own kingdom. But Mm -hmm. within that, um, you know, as far as podcasts go, I think consistency and tone, you know, you can have a change in in the podcast, but to go from one week to one kind and then from another week to another is very jarring. And then there's this idea that, you know, people can just not release or stop or do it every some random Thursday. And that seems a little immature as well, you know, and just holding yourself accountable. Sponsorship, like you mentioned, is another big one. I myself am not attached to it, but um, funding is not an issue for me because the majority of my projects are self-funded. But as you've mentioned, a lot of people think that it's going to be this cash-making machine. And sponsorship and partnership are a ton of work. They frequently align you with a brand that may or may not be in sync with your brand. There's just a lot of things that decimates my brand.
1: I'm so authentic that if I, you know, start talking about paper towels, my brand is dead and my, it like, the meanness of me is dead.
0: Yeah, and I like your Yankee. I like that whole concept. I was just going to say Yankee know-how, and you're in Canada, but either <laughs> the concept of ingenuity and kind of like out of the box, off Amazon, and then I met a friend, and they wrote the music, and that—that's really what you can do with podcasting. And I encourage people to get on and listen to Lisa's because it is a sense of professionalism that is astounding that you did. I—I I for sure assumed that your publicist with your book had hooked you up with an entire crew, so. <laughs> off to you. It sounds amazing, um, and I love it. I want to turn now to unpacking, um, to call myself Beloved, a story of hope, healing, and coming home. The book, it just launched today, I and mean, everyone who has listened to me before knows that I'm an absolute bookworm, but um, I haven't read it as it came out today, and I'm ex- kind of excited because this will be what I call an airplane conversation. So if I just met you on an airplane, and we, and I had you quarantined, an hour and a half next to me i would be able to ask you all of these questions yeah. hopefully without you getting away or putting on your headphones so well, I, uh, I just like leaned closer because i'm so excited about this. <laughs> oh i i love it because i don't know anything about it and so this is very off the cuff which is my favorite kind of conversation um, i love research but i do far too much of it mm-hmm. um okay so i first want to talk about the my my introduction to the book um was through whatever we could grab offline and i want to read a quick line that i found um to myself that kind of explained to me what the book was about, and you can tell me if it's correct or not. So it says, to call myself beloved is informed by lessons learned through navigating the most cataclysmic events of, woman's, of one woman's life and realizing throughout each one that I am still okay. Mm -hmm. So, and we've kind of climbed through some of that, you know, what you said earlier and things like that, but that for me kind of gave me the impetus of what I expected the book to be about. I then listened to uh, your most recent podcast, which is about one chapter of that, and it's called The Myth of Competition. And this actually speaks to a great deal of my heart, and I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast series will identify with it. So I first want you to, um, what I would like to hear from you before we unpack, I want to talk about The Myth of Competition and all of the other chapters, but... When you were writing it, did you keep your audience in mind or did you just write it for yourself? Because you do have this kind of self-serving platform, which is Mm -hmm. applaudable, but um, I want to know if you did keep your audience in mind, who was that audience? And um, as you were composing it, um, how how were you speaking to them? How did it help transform or build the book? So
1: until very recently, I used to introduce myself as a professional human and real life adult because frankly, like that's what I am. Like My dream has always been to get paid to be me. You know, again, I spent so much of my life, arguably the first half of my life, denying who I was and proving who I was and hiding who I was that now I'm like, oh no, like here I am and it took so much and I'm so happy to be this person. I love this person so much. Let me share that and let me see if what kind of opportunities arrive. And the cool thing is lots of opportunities have arisen from that place of like genuine authenticity. So yes, the book, I absolutely kept my audience in mind because I am also my ideal client. You know, I'm very passionate about the fact that just like we said, if I'm having this feeling and I'm really struggling and I can't even Google the answer, I can't figure it out. Oh man, if I can't figure it out, there have got to be thousands, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other women who are struggling this but for some reason don't have the the right, you know, genetic makeup that compels them to figure it out. So, all this stuff I figured out. I went back to school for coaching. I read every book. I did all the things. I saw so many therapists and I ended up creating this incredible healing modality for myself that I started to use with my clients and I watched how it was affecting my clients' lives in this earth-shatteringly simple way. You know, all of my clients this week, for example, I get on the phone with them and they're like, I am not doing well. It has not been a good week. And by the end of the conversation, like 57 minutes later, they're like, oh my God, this is a dramatic difference. I feel so much better. I thought I felt stuck, but actually what I see now from talking to you is that I'm not like trapped. I have so many options. So I am my ideal client because those are all pain points that I, I had so close to me. So when I was writing it, it was really important to me too. Like when it says like, I, somehow I wrote about, like it's just one woman's life. I'm just a woman. Like I'm just a person living a life as a human on this planet. And I've also done an episode on my podcast called Beware the Female Empowerment Brand. Because when you start to scratch the surface on the female empowerment brand, like you are not going to like what you find. And so many of the people who are championing themselves as just regular people are not. Like, I think, like they're, they're not just regular people. And I feel like I'm just kind of a regular person living a life. And so, again, to write from that place of, well, here are the three things that ultimately tried to define my life. Childhood abuse, a really painful divorce, and then this experience with cancer that, the treatment for which included uh, chemo, full hair loss, and a radical mastectomy. Like I removed both of my breasts. And what I learned through each of those things was how to heal. And not only like how to heal from trauma and pain, and how to come home to who I am. So when you read in this space of like, all you have to do is self love, just you love yourself, just take care of yourself, just start to prioritize yourself, just set boundaries. My personality is like, yeah, but how? Like, tell me how to do that. Nobody's telling me how to do that. They're just creating a listicle because that gets great SEO ratings. And so suddenly I was like, well, fuck it. I'm gonna write this manual on how to do this. So the book is divided, I would call the book like a self-love manifesto because it's almost 400 pages and is literally a compendium of everything and every healing modality, mindset hack, technique that I've learned in the past five years. And it's divided into these three, three sections, understanding where you've come from, making peace with where you are, and then healing forward. And each section opens with one personal essay. So like, here's a glimpse of what my childhood was actually like. People think because I had such like a an engaged Instagram audience that i I must be like very extroverted and very public. I'm, I'm insanely private. Like I'm an insanely private person. And so this is a big deal because I'm actually sharing stories of what it was like in childhood. And then you know, the second part opens with what does divorce actually feel like? Because if you want to polarize a room real quick, just ask for people's opinions on marriage and divorce, and you will find you'll find Basically, it's always the woman's fault, no matter what happens in the marriage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was it. Was just so it was so intense. Divorce was literally the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life, and that includes cancer. It was like way harder than cancer. And then, just as I was building momentum and doing all the right things and and navigating that divorce with a lot of grace and kindness and compassion, I got breast cancer. Like I got breast cancer the day my ex husband got married, and I was like, I was so ready to give up. I was ready. I was like, I'm out. My life is a Kafka novel and I've read it and I don't like how it ends. I'm not going to be this beetle trapped in my back because that's stupid. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I came home from uh, one of my appointments. There are many, many, many appointments at the very beginning of cancer. And I was so young and no family history that the treatment was going to be super aggressive. So I came home from one of my appointments. I hadn't picked up my kids from school yet. I was just like, once again, (laughs) like once again, lying on my living room floor, it's a different house, this one I bought by myself, lying on my living room floor, rage screaming, like primal rage, but that anger that you're never ever allowed to feel, particularly as a woman, like, I was just rage screaming, and I was screaming out, like, how the fuck am I going to do this? How am I going to do this?
0: Yeah. And would not
1: you know it, this little voice came back, again. And the voice this time was like, you are going to make this beautiful. And I remember like stopping and being like, what? And I heard it again, you're gonna make this beautiful. And it was in that moment where I was like, oh my God, the only expectations I have to meet are the ones I set for myself. So I actually get to defy what anybody else's expectations of are of my cancer experience. And I'm gonna make it my own and I'm gonna make it so fucking beautiful, nobody's going to know what to do. So from that, it was such a turning point that I realized, um, I'm sure you read The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, if you're a reader. That's my favorite book. And I remember going through that process of deliberately making everything about the cancer experience and single parenting and divorce. I was like, this is emotional alchemy. This is taking this dark, painful, really heavy stuff allowing enough trust and flow and expertise and intuition to consciously transform it into something beautiful and golden. So to kind of answer the question in a very long way, that's the third part of the book. It's full of how you do that. You know, it's very easy to be like, if you want to heal and move forward, all you have to do is forgive your parents. Do you know what it's like to forgive your parents? Do you know what it's like to forgive an ex-husband who doesn't treat you very well? That's hard. Do you know what it's like to forgive people who you thought you could trust and then they violated all your trust? So in the book, it's I am so proud of it because it's like lots of personal essay, lots of anecdotes. There's so many little funny examples, just like it feels like you're kind of talking to a girlfriend on the couch because it's just kind of a casual conversation yeah. with intensely practical, hands-on information that anybody can do, that anybody can just teach themselves how to think differently. And as a single mom of three, when I say things like it's lifestyle friendly, you had better believe it's lifestyle friendly. Cause like, ain't nobody got time to get up an extra hour and a half to do a workout and make a green smoothie and then a Bulletproof cup. Like, I'm like, no, I can't do that right now. So just tell me, how do I teach myself how to think differently? I wrote the tome on (laughs) that.
0: That's amazing. I love. I'm obsessed with anyone who knows me or has um, had the unfortunate experience of hearing me ramble on, either in front of a crowd or not. I'm obsessed with action items and utility, and um, and it's because I get lost very easily, personally, in despair, um, and you know, and I look at really, really hard subjects, and I don't mind doing that as long as we've got a ladder out or a path towards that ladder. And so um, this this call to to action that you have that you know you've insisted on fitting into schedule and things like that, is kind of um, it, it's I'm, I'm obsessed with the concept. A lot of <clears throat> books that kind of dive into narrative and things like that will tell you how that particular person kind of came out of it. And frequently, it'll be like time passed and things changed. And yeah. In love again, or so, and I'm like, this is not a solution, you know. That that's we dot dot dot. I what the, what the hell is happening in the dot 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 that nobody will tell me? Yeah, exactly. And so I can't, um, I cannot wait to kind of pull it up and um, and look at your action items because, and it sounds like it's it's built that way because that's how you're leading, you know, a lot of your coaching. If yeah. you're are coming out of 57 minutes saying this is a lot better, you know, that does not happen just from saying. So my life sucks, you know. It it comes finding solutions as how we yeah. can suckify life, right? Yeah.
1: Yes. Well, and because, you know, I really believe that all of us are still children. We just, you know, live in bigger houses and drive fancy cars, but I think we all stay kids. And because I have these little girls, my inner child got so neglected as a kid that my inner child is so alive and well because she's fostered in, the, in this incredible environment that we've created as a little family, um, That. I didn't want the book to be preachy either. So all of those I action items, I like, sometimes if you say homework, people actually do get triggered or if you're like, these are activities, they get, they kind of get put off by them. So I was like, well, listen, I love tacos. If you look at my branding at all, it's a very common thread that weaves itself in. I love tacos. When I went to California, I ate tacos like all the way up the coast from California to LA, but, or to Seattle.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: so each of the
0: activities, oh, what, sorry. No, no, no. I was just saying you're right. And I mean, tacos are like more than our, our state flag. Like, yeah, I, seriously.
1: <laughs> anyway. And so each of the like activities or the action items in the book are called taco activities because everybody likes tacos. And so it like sparks this like taco activities. That's so cool. Oh, and now I need to forgive my parents. Okay. I can do that. it. Cha- it's like, it's so it's very NLP because it's like, I make it a very safe environment for you
0: to trust me. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. And I am really proud of that. Absolutely. As well, you should be. I think that that's exciting and finding those things. It's interesting. You talk about creating a safe haven within, um, you know, your family where you're, um, it's, it's dancing a fine line. When, pe- when adults, I think you've been the first adult in the past few months that's talked about being a child that hasn't irritated me. <laughs> Um, I myself felt a little robbed of a childhood you know and and for for loving reasons I came from a beautiful family of, of six children and it was crazy and dynamic but my parents definitely did you know all that they could and um and I uh and when people talk about reliving their childhood I'm like oh so your children hate being them like because you get to be the kid in the situation you know there's those adults that like oh, yes living out their dream and so their kids are like having to make dinner. And I think like, what, why are you taking out your problems on the next generation? But I like the way that you describe this environment where you're like, we all get to kind of feel safe and experienced and you're fostering that inner child without like robbing it of your children, I think is so cool. Oh Yeah. And like my
1: kids and I are not friends. We are not friends. I'm definitely their mother. They are definitely my children, but there are, it's so meta because I am the mother that I didn't get. I am the mother naturally that I need it. And through my Montessori education, I totally started reparenting myself. And all of this healing is like, it's essentially me re-mothering myself. And against all odds, because trust me, I heard a lot of negative feedback and a ton of judgment when I when I did get divorced, people were like, it's the worst thing you can do for your kids. You're gonna ruin their lives. And I'm like, well, I'm not, like I'm a really good mom, and that's just a na- that's just natural to who I am. With my clients is the same thing. It's a very mothering energy. I'm not going to be like, oh good, did you set a goal this week? No, like let's be real. Like what are you actually intending to do? I'm not your hype squad. For my kids, I'm like their backbone, right? There's a lot of structure. There's there's this firmness with a lot of flexibility, but there are these meta moments because we'll be sitting around writing like song parodies, like taking one of the new Taylor Swift songs and making it up about our cats instead or we'll be watching a movie or something, and we all have this moment where it feels like all four of us are sisters. Sometimes I'll go, i take them up for ice cream before dessert first, I'll be like, okay, whatever you do, don't tell our mom, because there are those moments of like, it's so insanely joyful and playful that none of us can believe that I'm their mom. But trust me, there's like so much mutual respect. Everybody is very, very clearly aware of like who the mother is in this dynamic.
0: It's a beautiful balance. I like the description that you have, you know, I can't wait to kind of unpack it even further in your book. And I feel the same way. I think there's a way to ex- experience such a complete companionship with your children, yeah. but always remain. I always tell my kids, I'm not your friend. So it's not supposed to be fair. <laughs> Friendship. <laughs>
1: exactly. this actually isn't a democracy. So thank you. Uh, I've heard what you had to say, but ultimately I'm making the decision. And I don't know about you, but like, I think, again, this is, yes, this is rooted in my own past, but the way that I, you know, apply emotional alchemy to it is like I was never, ever allowed to be myself or I felt punished and shamed and exiled for being myself. So with my kids, I'm like, what do you like? Like <laughs> What makes you happy? Like, let's do that. You want to do dance? Okay, cool. Let's explore. That. Let's explore that. You know, you want to do karate, whatever. Let's explore that because it's it's what makes you feel good. I have no expectations of my children other than they are showing up as kind, lovely individuals in whatever that means for them. You know, if they're being of service and they're treating other people with respect, that's cool. They each have their own nuances and passion and style of clothing and, and interests and hobbies. And to me, that individuality, while living, this is the purpose of relationships, to be completely whole on your own and independent while sharing an interdependent existence, Yeah. Uh, parenting right and that is definitely the little environment that we've created in our home
0: it's gorgeous that's got to be your next book i mean i'm putting it out there there you go (laughs) so it's amazing i love it and i love the dynamic it's like i said i'm very sensitive when things get described i get like oh but um that it's it sounds wonderful i love the idea of it i want to climb into one of your chapters because it was narrated so i felt like i read it online um on your podcast, the myth of competition, because it really taps into something that we've actually had a lot of conversation on this particular podcast about. It's been something I've looked at at a lot of different angles, from a lot of different angles, through a lot of different lenses in the past. Um, And if I would be so bold as to quickly just tell you what I heard from it um, when listening to the podcast, is that there's this concept that we are all aware of of women, that we get pitted against each other. And then you unpack it in a more interesting way. I haven't really heard this before, at least not that I, I can remember reading this kind of angle, but you get into the perception of what competition is. And, you know, and the takeaway for me was there will always be someone better and worse than you. So competition truly doesn't exist and it doesn't foster you in the way that you think it will. It delineates you from your society, from your fellow sisterhood. It can, you know, it can actually slow things down and it actually removes you from the goal that you're probably headed towards in the competition like circus anyway. And so um, I wanted to kind of talk about how you came to this chapter. Like, It's such a pivotal, crucial thing. It feels like the conversation, even as I try to make it simple, is still so complex and dynamic per individual. How did you come to writing about this and um, what kind of made you come to the realizations you came to with it?
1: So I have been basically single for about five years. Like I've dated a couple people since, uh, since my marriage ended, but ultimately I've been single for five years. And while that has been a massive pain point for me over the, the, the past few years, cause it's like, oh my God, I didn't think I was ever gonna be single. Like, I, where is this football player I've been dreaming about? What five years of solitude has done, it has enabled me not only to be with my family and create a business and all the rest of it, go through cancer, It has enabled me to be with my thoughts. So I think about this stuff all the time, but because I spend a lot of time in solitude, it actually allows me to kind of tap into the cultural milieu of what we're experiencing or what we're being told. I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram because that's how I've created my business, but also there's so much bullshit on Instagram that it, it pains me to watch it happen. And so for me, it's like when you start to strip it back and you strip it back and you strip it back, we are a, we are animals, we are social animals at that. And so we are naturally inclined to always look to the group to see that what we're to see, if what we're doing is in line with what everybody else is doing, because that means we're being accepted or we're not. And if we're accepted, cool, you get to live. And if you're not accepted, uh Oh, you're dead. And so I, to ignore competition is so stupid to me because it's like but wait a second we're kind of wired in our DNA to have this litmus test of like is what I'm doing okay okay so that's part of us but the other part of us has to zoom out and realize yes we're social animals but we've also really evolved as a species so while we are looking out to make sure we're surviving we actually have to look in and see what am I doing why am I doing it and like what's the whole purpose behind this? If you spend your time looking at what everybody else is doing, you're only witnessing a moment in time, right? And you know, like success is a long game. You can't, you can't measure your, you can't measure your worth and your progress by anybody else's standards other than your own, because we're all just comparing weird moments in time. And if each of us is walking this individual path, Why the hell would I look at anybody else's path to see where they are? And why would I internalize that to make that like a metric of my success? My (laughs) success is my own. So if you understand that like my success is my own in this moment and that moment is like a series of moments over a long period of time, there's always going to be somebody who's doing way worse than I am. And there's always going to be somebody who's way far ahead of me. So to me, it seems pretty stupid to pay attention to any of that. And instead take all that energy and all that focus and be like, okay, was this my best? No, it wasn't. Okay. Then how could I have done that better? Or what would I tweak to make that smoother? Or is this my best? You know what, like given what I had at the time, the resources that I had, this is my best. Like I'm going to stand confidently in that. And it's so freeing just to be at peace with who you are and what you're doing that I really wanted to frame it for people as like competition is a myth. You really only have to be uh, to value what you're doing and why.
0: Yeah, and I love it because it unpacks it. I think a lot of people have different terminology, you know, people who have a really positive relationship with competition don't actually mean the same thing by that word as someone who has a negative relationship. This is where I get very into people like defining their terms. Yes at least this chapter seems to really define the way that you have started to look at and use these words, yeah. moved beyond them. And I think that that is so crucial, you know, when you're having particularly self dialogue, you really need to ask yourself what you mean by those words. And if you're comparing yourself with somebody else, what they mean by those words. And if they, if you, if they haven't defined themselves, you couldn't possibly believe that you're speaking about the same thing. Yeah. Well, and then the second part
1: of that chapter is like, I think controversial, um, but the second part of that chapter is that like collaboration over competition is like even more of a myth and I would argue is rooted in such patriarchal roots that it just, it makes me want to vomit because I feel like living in this Instagram generation, this Instagram culture that we are told over and over again, like don't worry girls if we know we pit you against each other for so long, but now all you have to do is collaborate and then you don't have to feel though that p- bitter pain of rejection from somebody doing better, you, better than you. And to me, I'm like, I don't, don't even have a good analogy for it. I feel like I'm like a, a meerkat looking up being like, is anybody else hearing this shit? Like show me a room full of men. Show me a fucking cafe table with two men where they're being told that, okay, boys, You just need to collaborate instead of compete. No, it doesn't exist. That that's not a thing. And it's like, okay, so if that conversation is now a movement for women to champion collaboration over competition, what I hear is play nice girls. We don't want you to fight. Nobody's feelings need to get hurt. We know you really can't handle it. So why don't you just work together? And I'm like giving middle fingers all over the place. I'm like, if you want to collaborate for your brand because it's good for your brand or it's good for your soul, I work with people sometimes because I love working with them and it's so fun. I don't care what the outcome is. I just want to be in that energy. That's a fucking awesome collaboration. But if something isn't good for my brand, just because I think somebody else might do it better than me, doesn't mean that I'm going to then work with her to get ahead. It's it's so condescending and it's so misogynistic that I want to barf every time I see it online.
0: Well, and it's wrapped in this beautiful, you know, it, oh, yeah. it's wrapped in this message of like women lifting up women. You know? Oh, it's
1: such bullshit.
0: Drag and all of that. And I think that you're right, you know, saying that one must now collaborate. Yeah. just as silly as saying one must compete, you know. Yeah. and um, not mutually exclusive. Yeah, and they've taken a, you know, a word that didn't used to mean, you know, you're weak and then called it weak. Like collaboration used to be how NASA was built. It wasn't how, you know, we just, the yeah. population that couldn't get ahead because of, you know, hundreds of years of misogynistic implementation at micro levels. You know, <laughs> so, it's crazy. I want to turn, I, I could talk all day. I could have you unpack every chapter. <laughs> Read it and we'll do just that. Okay. Two, I love asking coaches and people who've done so much self dialogue and then turned into, you know, advisors and, um, and mentors of that nature. I am obsessed with how you look at goals yourself. So I want to first know as a business person, do you have one to three year goals for your business endeavors? And second of all, do you use the same structure in which you advise your clientele when it comes to looking at the future or goals or whatever terminology you want to supplement if you hate the word goals?
1: Yeah, so I think for me, interestingly, like today is book launch day for me, right? And I, I had ordered, A bunch of copies in advance for pre-sale and they arrived a few days ago and so the from the time they arrived to today has been such an emotional time because you're confronted with and I write about this in the book like the failure the fear of getting what you want suddenly it's like oh my god I've been focused on writing a book even if on the back burner on my periphery I've been focused on writing a book for four years I did it it's in the world. Last time I checked, it's like number three already on, in self-esteem. Like, I think it's going to be a best-selling book. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do now? And at first that, you know, the roller coaster of emotion is like, oh, my God, what do I do now? And the flip side is like, oh, my God, what do I do now? So for me, the next one to three years are so interesting because today was the pinnacle of what my goal was. It was like, right? I, I look today and I'm like, I did it. Oh my God, I did it. Like I created this brand. I have started hiring people to run Facebook ads and build online courses, or build the ads to promote the online courses. You can work with me privately. I have a podcast. I have a book. I do speaking. As soon as we can get back on a stage, it's like, Oh my God, what is next for me? And so I don't know what that looks like. Really? What it feels like is more freedom, more thought leadership, um i feel like all this self dialogue all of this work all this granular attention to the emotional experience we're having i really feel like my purpose on this earth is to change the global conversation on emotional health and self love and to me and this answers the second part of your question as to how i support clients with their goals i'm so intention based and you know the spirituality component ties in because I know what I want this to feel like. I know what I want, how I want to honor my family. I know the level of financial freedom that feels really good for me. I know how I want to be of service to not only my local community, but my global community. And if I'm really clear on that intention, which I am, and if, if that intention aligns so beautifully with my values, which it does, then I almost don't really care what happens next because I know it's good. Thought leadership to me is something that always pops up in my radar. I'm going to be on this TV show, Um, we're shooting it in October, and it's called The Social Movement. It's getting like 60 people together, we're divided by expertise, and we're given four days to solve a major world problem like education, how to stop a pandemic. And then we pitch those ideas to a team of of investors. So part of me is like, oh man, what if I could get like my own Netflix docu-series to come out of that? Or wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool if I could have my own Amazon mini-series that's just sharing what I know about the emotional experience? I don't know, but I know that it, it's gonna be so fun. I <laughs> think it's gonna be like lots of work and also lots of fun.
0: It sounds like it. I love that. And I love that you know it came, you had a very clear thought that was just also based out of intention, like that faith in knowing that framework for yourself and understanding that, you know, you could move forward out of that confidence and grace. I think that's everyone's goal is to feel like, you know, that regardless of how clear their goals are, they will be obtainable because they've developed this platform. I I wanted, we've got like a few minutes left and I want to finally climb into my last question, which everyone knows I ask on this um, particular series and I'm excited to find out what yours is going to be your answer. But So um, if you were walking tomorrow um, outside of Toronto on your beautiful lake community at a safe social distance and someone ran up to you and it was a woman or a woman identified or a non-binary individual, they said, listen, I am so good, Lisa, I found you. Um, We we have someone in common. They've told me to come and talk to you. Um, I have undergone this, you know, like this litany of of personal um, difficulty and triumph from that. And I'm getting ready to kind of pull myself up and pivot and start this huge empire for myself. And, um, it's going to be based on all of my knowledge and all of my findings. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know today?
1: That's a powerful question.
0: (laughs) Um, uh, I think it would be
1: trust yourself. Yeah. Don't uh, pay more attention to what you have to say than what anybody else has to say and appreciate that it is a long game. Uh, And just because it's a long game doesn't mean that you're failing. It just, sometimes things take more time than you think. And if you can, keep yourself present and really, really be in the process without focusing so much on the end goal.
0: Nice, beautiful. So I've got trust yourself, appreciate that it's a long game and stay in the process, stay present. That's great. All of those, you know, speaking to self-knowledge and then um, endurance, and looking at like the true livelihood of of everyone's struggle, and then obviously staying present, which I think a lot of your advice does. Um, I am so thankful for you speaking with us today. It's been such a pleasure for me, and we're out of time. But um, I just wanted to say I really appreciate your candor. I know that your empire is developed on it, but um, I feel like you stay present with that. It's very easy, I think, when when you write as much as you do, when you podcast and things like that, to fall into these like very clip things that we say over and over again. But um, I listened to a lot of information on you online before we spoke and I've never heard anything that you've given me today. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. It's, it's, it's really appreciated. Your authenticity is amazing.
1: Thank you. And what an opportunity to be here. I wish we weren't coast to coast, cause like, I wanna go for tacos with you or like go get coffee right now. <laughs> but What an amazing opportunity to be here and share this space from like, across the world.
0: Absolutely. And that will happen one day. We are absolutely getting talked. Okay, okay. <laughs> for soul sisters, for sure. <laughs> for certain. But um, yes, I appreciate it. And for everyone listening, thank you so much for giving us your time. I do appreciate all of you. And um, we've been speaking with Lise Wilcox. She's a transformational mindset and success coach and author. You can find out more about her book, her podcast, and her coaching um, different courses and things like that on her website, lisewilcox.com. That's L-E-I-S-S-E-W-I-L-C-O-X.com. Her book is called To Call Myself Beloved, A Story of Hope, Healing, and Coming Home. Jump online, grab it off, and um, and we will come back around. I, I always serve, I, I know my audience is like, how could you not have read it? I will grab Lise back up again before COVID ends so that she's somehow still at home and I'll trap her into having a conversation with me, Guaranteed. pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you everyone for giving us your time again. Until we speak again next time, remember to stay safe and always bet on yourself. Sláinte.